morning, everyone. Our scripture reading for this morning is from 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verses 14 to 23. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit of the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent the messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Amen. Thank you, Charles. Close to pray with me as we head into this passage. Uh, Lord, we pray you would open our hearts to hear your word. Lord, we thank you that we can again gather to be in your presence. And we pray that you would speak now in the morning. Amen. Amen. Lost Samuel. There he is. Excellent. So our last week we started this series on David's stories. Uh, hopefully, hopefully the mic's okay for you. Sorry, it's not. It's so much easier to get the mic. We started this passage on David's stories, and last week we talked about David being called and anointed. If you remember this, if you were here. If not, I'll give you a brief synopsis. Uh, God has forsaken Saul as Israel's king. He said, I'm going to find a new king. He says, call Samuel to go find David. And after a long uh, interview process with several uh, not good candidates, Samuel uh, is led by the Lord to anoint David. And that's where we're left. And so I want to start today by asking, having called and anointed David, what does God send him out to do? And the same thing, having called and anointed us, uh, where does God send us? What does God call us out to do? David's first kingly act is actually to go get a job. And in his work, he discovers he has the opportunity to bring the order and the peace uh, and the life of God into places of disorder and chaos and darkness. 
And this work playing harp for Saul is actually king work. Now, it's, it's our king's work, too. We may not play harps, but we are called like David as he brings the beauty and the order of God into a place of darkness. We're called in the same way in our work, or whatever that might be, to bring the beauty and the order and the peace of God into our workplaces, wherever you kind of set your hand to. So the question is, does God, does God care about my work? Yes, absolutely God cares about your work. Work uh, is what, what I want to talk about this morning using this as sort of a frame. <coughs> Work is energy expended in activity for a cause of some sort. And folks, I think it's important to be reminded that God's actually designed uh, us to be workers. Uh, He's actually made work for you. And work's good. And it's actually uh, a way in which our spiritual lives are developed. But also, it's the way in which we get to partner with God in the work he's doing in the world. And so often, we miss that. Now, I know uh, as we talk about work, not all of us here have jobs. Some of you are perhaps retired. Uh, some of you are students. And uh, some of you are probably at home taking care of children all day. Well, that's work too. So whether you're, <laughs> whether you're actually employed or perhaps you're retired, um, I know many retired people say, I'm busier now than I was when I was working. Uh, or perhaps you're between jobs. Um, my guess is there's something that you set your hands to every day. Whether it's caring for someone, Maybe you're not employed, but you're caring for someone, or you're raising kids, or you're, you know, you've got things you do seasonally, and maybe you're in between seasons right now. That's all well and good. Um, but all of us have something that we do in terms of work, uh, whether, again, employer, or sort of volunteer, or just taking care of ourselves. So that's what I want to talk about today is work. Now, before we jump in, I want, to, I want us to notice a few kind of literary details about this passage in chapter 16. So chapter 16... Uh, it's right in the middle of uh, 1 Samuel, okay? Uh, and the first, uh, it kind of functions as this hinge point between two parts of the book. The first part's all about Saul's kingship and how that at first goes well and then goes poorly. So Saul's here. And the second half's all about David's kingship. And, and chapter 16 functions as kind of this, like I said, this hinge point that gets us from Saul to David. Uh, Saul's obviously still in the story. But in terms of what God's doing, uh, where God's spirit is, what he's about, we're moving Saul's kingship to David's kingship. And then uh, chapter 16 itself is kind of split into two parts. So the first part is about David being called and anointed and the spirit coming upon David. And the second part is about uh, what happens when the spirit leaves Saul. Uh, So you've got David's uh, coming into his kingship in some sense, and now Saul's being kind of taken out of his kingship, okay? And that's happening together in kind of this hinge point of, of, the, of the larger book. The Holy Spirit fills David, and the Holy Spirit departs Saul. And God actually sends and allows this other spirit to be upon Saul, which is interesting, and we'll get there in a minute. But what's God, what's God doing? I want you to notice here, in all of these events, God uh, makes it so that Saul actually hires David, uh, to be in the royal court. His first job outside of shepherding sheep is not by his own making. So we see in David, again, his heart. He's not uh, ruthlessly ambitious, right? He's not eager to climb the social ladder. It's not as though someone said, okay, you're the king, and he says, I'm going to now assert my rights to be king. And he starts kind of clamoring and, and kind of clawing over people to get there. Yes, he's, he's tall for this, he's anointed for it, but David does not engineer his presence or his coming into the royal court. God does. And that's the point. God, through Saul, 
who is not following God, interestingly, through Saul, brings David into the royal courts and gives him his first work as king, actually. His first king work. That's the first point. And the second point is also very important. Again, God, not David, has brought the new king to the place of his of the royal court, the place where he will rule someday. Um, but it also happens seemingly by chance. So this, this, uh, this spirit descends upon Saul, and it almost seems, well, Saul asks his, his, the people in his court, well, do you know anyone that could, you know, like, help me out here, right? They're like, you should find someone to play the harp. Oh, by the way, I know this guy. Right? It's kind of word of mouth. Like, oh, I know this guy. Who knows the guy? Oh, yeah, let's get him. Right? It's not like Saul seeks him out. But God makes a way that David's name is brought up towards Saul, and God, bring, through Saul, brings David to the royal courts. And it's actually, if you, if you think, right, we've seen this before, it's actually similar to what happens with Joseph and Pharaoh. Right? So Joseph, in obscurity, uh, through people he knows, his name comes up to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, well, let's go get him. And, and Joseph comes into the place where God's called him to, but it's, it's not by his own name. Same thing happens here. And so we're meant to go, wow, God is really in control here. God is really going to bring about what he wants to bring about. And, and David doesn't, doesn't really expend an ounce of energy to do this, does he? He just keeps on doing what, who he is, keeps being who he is, keeps doing what he's called to be, the shepherd. And yet God brings this about. And so again, I, we had, last week I talked about how this is God's story. Right? God's the one at work. And in your stories, in your lives, God's the one at work too. And sometimes there's stuff going on behind the scenes that you may not see. That you may not have any clue about. Know nothing about. And yet God is at work. God's doing stuff. And on the flip side of that, so there's a peace in knowing, Lord, you, you guide my steps. And, and there's an assurance here for me. On the flip side, that, that causes me to go, okay, am I being overly ambitious in trying to pursue a calling or to pursue a, a career for my own sense of identity and gain? Or can I rest in God's timing and his goodness? Right? So you see how that's kind of at play there. Um, God will lead and direct us in his time. And I remember um, when I first had an inkling of being in pastoral ministry was when I was in Eston. Uh, doing my undergrad, and Sarah and I had thought, you know, hey, at some point, yeah, we could see ourselves kind of pastoring a church, maybe, but we would be older, you know, like maybe I'd be in my 50s, or my 20s, it's older, right, like 30 years from now, you know, we'll have kids, maybe the kids will be leaving home, and you know, we'll be close, maybe close to retirement, maybe we'll be in our 60s even, I don't know, I could see us kind of settling into a church somewhere, and you know, I do some teaching, you know, we just love people, right? I can see that. Well, goodness, the Lord sort of brought it up in a completely different way. And I certainly did not engineer it. You did. No, I'm just kidding. But the, you did sort of. But the Lord brought that about. He really did. He really did. Um, so what God has for you folks, God will make a way for you to enter into. And he'll show you which way to go, which way you are to go. And he'll provide for you. He'll die for you. And his heart is good. And I want you to hear that and kind of rest in that assurance that God is the author of your story. And he will, maybe it's a hard chapter right now. It's a hard season right now. Uh, there's things you may not know where it's heading. David certainly doesn't know where it's heading at this point. But God's good. And, he, and you're in good hands when you're in his hands. Um, he that began a good work in you 
will see it through to completion. And he will never leave you or forsake you. So you're in good shape. And he leads and guides by his spirit. And it's the spirit that gets the attention here in this, uh, this hinge point between these two sections, which is again the hinge point of the whole book. So look, at, look with me at verses 13 and 14. Just going, this is a, gets us back a little bit to our last week. Pardon me. But then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Right? So those two, like some of our Bibles kind of split those into different sections than I did in our preaching planning, but they really flow together, right? As the Spirit comes upon David, the Spirit is departing Saul. Samuel leaves David in really good hands, like in the hand of the Lord, right? He's like, focus. Well, the Spirit's with you. I'm gone. I'm off to Ram. See you later. You don't need me. And Saul is left with this harmful spirit, this tormenting spirit. And he's left in dire straits. So David's in, in a good place. Saul's not in a good place. And just as an aside, uh, though it's crucial here, is to, is to realize the presence, the abiding presence of God in our lives is deeply, deeply important. Hugely important. Um, being uh, awake and alive to what God's doing in my life is crucial. Saying, Lord, what are you doing? I want to abide with you, and you to abide with me. And to cultivate that sense of closeness with the Lord is, is beautiful and brilliant and also can be difficult. In fact, I was listening uh, to something this morning, a podcast this morning, and uh, the fellow that was, uh, I was listening to, he was saying, uh, a lot of us have prayer like guilt. We look at someone else and we go, well, my prayer life's not like theirs. And it actually kind of debilitates us because we see others praying or others having this sort of spiritual life and we're like, well, I just can't do that. Like, I, it's really hard to me. And he said, we need to recognize that prayer, uh, our prayer life with God, our with God life, is like a prayer friend. Um, it's unique and individual to you. And yes, there's practices and disciplines that can help you in cultivating your life with God, for sure. Um, but your relationship with God is a relationship. It will be unique. Um, does that make sense? So not to feel kind of, oh, I didn't do this thing or I didn't do that thing. It's okay. As long as you're sort of saying, Lord, I want to be obedient. I want to hear from you. I want to follow you. Lead me in that. Um, I'm going to take the time each day to be in your presence and rest in you. Uh, start there. You'll be in good shape. Right? Absolutely crucial. Presence of the Spirit in our lives. And I, I find myself often praying from Psalm 51, where uh, the psalmist, I think is David, I'm not entirely sure, but says, Create me a clean heart of God, and renew a right spirit, cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit. Okay? Starting with the joy of my salvation. And then it goes on from there, to be restored and forgiven in God, helping to then teach others your things. So as we confess our sins, as we do, we want to say, Lord, I want to be in your abiding presence. I want you to be close to me. Come fill my life. He does that. Um, the great promise throughout the gospel, especially in John, when we read John, is uh, Jesus says, Father, and I want to make our home in you. And we're going to do it by the Holy Spirit. We actually want to abide in you. You become the temple of the living God. It's amazing. It's a great gift and assurance we have as Christians. Presence of the Spirit. So, David's in good shape, right? Saul's not in good shape. What are we to make of this passage about this harmful spirit, the one that afflicts Saul? 
Lots of writing and interest on what exactly is going on here. And there's kind of two options. Uh, it could be it could be a demonic spirit that God allows to afflict Saul, uh, which can sound kind of scary. Um, there it is. And, yep, that's one option. Pretty good option. Uh, the other option, which is also pretty good, is um, spirit doesn't always refer to a um, like an entity, like a being. It can also refer to like an attitude or a disposition or a temperament. Um, so I, you could say... Uh, there's a spirit of, he has a real spirit of fear. It doesn't mean he's being tempted by a demon of fear. It means he, in his sinfulness, he's overcome by fearfulness. Often in scripture, that's what that means. doesn't mean there aren't demons, okay? Don't worry about it. But, but both, are, both are good options. It could be an entity, or it could be that uh, God allows Saul to sink into a really deep depression. Either way, um, he's in rough shape. Whichever, whichever one it is, he's in rough shape. And it, it, it could sound cruel that God would let this happen, right? Like, how can a good and loving God let Saul <laughs> end up in this place? But God who's also good and loving is also just and holy. And Saul has been demonstrating his actions that actually don't want God. Over and over again, he's been kind of denying God and sort of neglecting him. And God's saying, look, that's what you want. Here it is. I'll give you over to it. You don't want me? Fine. Here's the alternative, Right? So he lets him experience that. Either way, Saul's in ruins and his mind's in chaos. Now, I want us to just pause just for a minute and think about Saul, because it's so easy to think of Saul as just this bad guy. Like, he's just been brutal. But it didn't start that way at all. Saul's a really good guy. In fact, when he's anointed king and called by God like David, he doesn't let it go to his head. He continues actually working the farm. He's doing the chores. He's alongside the people. He doesn't, like David, isn't ruthless about trying to get his position and it's not until uh, he's called to lead the army, not until he's kind of called to kind of lead the people in a particular kingly way, that he goes, okay, yep, I'll do it. And he, he, he goes for it, and the people come around him. They're excited about him. And off they go to battle, and they achieve great success. And so we get the sense right away, hey, Saul's a good general. This is important. But we also see in those passages that Saul's actually generous and gracious. He's not just a good general. He's a good person. So what happens, right? Well... As it does, it's not that there's an evil person here, it happens gradually, right? The signs slowly begin to show in Saul's life that he's okay to neglect God. It doesn't start that way, right? But over time, he starts to neglect God, gradually, as it most often does in folks. And so we realize, for all his confidence and all his ability, Saul... Um, is less and less interested in what God has to say, and it all comes to a head in the area of Saul's work, the work that he's called to do. And we get this, this, this instance twice, in 1 Samuel 12 and 1 Samuel 15, where Saul carries out an act of disobedience against God in the course of carrying out his work. And the acts actually don't appear sinful. Like, it's not as though Saul's, like, sexually immoral, or he's, like, really practicing injustice or something. In fact, what he does makes sense uh, from a military point of view. It's good strategy, what Saul does, but it's not good obedience. It's good military strategy, makes sense, but it's not what God asked him to do. And, and both acts of disobedience end up involving his work and his worship. And this gradually is what happens in Saul's heart. And this is a warning for us, folks. Um, we don't start off in the Christian life thinking we're going to fall away from God, but gradually things can show up in our lives that are an indicator 
that we are not, we don't actually want to love and follow Jesus. And this is what, this is kind of what happens to Saul. It just happens gradually. It starts out great, um, but ends poorly. The thing with this is about work and worship. So Saul begins to use worship as a means to an end. The end is to get what he wants and to keep the people happy. So he starts worshiping on his own terms, not on God's terms. And folks, when that happens, the difference is absolutely fatal. Saul tries to do good work and kind of justify it by kind of smuggling God in through a prayer meeting or kind of tacking a praise and worship service onto the end of his work. But it's already a larger act of disobedience. He doesn't. He goes to worship to make himself feel better, even though all all week, Monday to Friday, he's been neglecting God. He's actually using God, and in the words of Eugene Peterson, who's great on this, he says. Saul starts treating God as a means or as a resource to his life, and God will not be used. It's about work, it's about worship. Saul starts to see his work and his worship as two different things instead of as two interconnected realities. So he starts to use worship as a means to get his work to prosper. Then he starts to see his work as this place where he can kind of neglect God, because he's good, he went to church on Sunday. Uh, so he's good for the week. Right? And Monday to Friday, he neglects God. What happens is Saul actually divorces work and worship. And that's the beginning of the end for him. See, in God, our work and our worship are meant to be deeply bound together. It's this seamless, interconnected whole. Your work life and your, and your worshiping life. Uh, in fact, calling it your work life and worshiping life makes it sound like two different lives. Um, but your life of worship and your life of work are deeply interconnected. Um, Sunday's not separate from Monday. It's, it's, it's meant to be intrinsically lived in and with God together. And the, the issue here is that Saul starts to separate the two. And that becomes part of his downfall. Uh, work and worship. So let's head back to the text here. So Saul's work as king, interestingly, this is what he's neglected, is now given over to David. And Saul now is going to have to become dependent on the one who's going to replace him. Which is the irony of it. It's pretty great. This is all about work. All about work and obedience. Saul's work as king is taken from him. David's king work is given to him. And as I said at the beginning, work is part of all of our lives, whether you're paid or not. Uh, work is present and good in all of our lives. And uh, we work, folks, because we're made in the image and likeness of a worker. Like when you read Genesis 1, what does God do? It's like he gets up and goes, I'm going to go to work. And off he goes. He goes to work. Works for, works for six days, then takes a day off, which is a good example for us. Takes a day off. It, but in the beginning, God goes to work, and all creation is framed as his work. And in Genesis 2, God says, I'm going to make man and woman, and you know what they're going to do? They're going to come alongside me and help me in the work. They're going to participate in the work with me. They're going to be co-gardeners with me in the garden. So I'm, I'm going to give them work to do, and we're going to work together. It's going to be great. That's the vision. And all work all legitimate people-honoring work is a participation in God's work. All legitimate people-honoring work is participation in God's work. And all... I say legitimate people-honoring because I would say uh, sex industry, nope, doesn't count. Slavery, nope, doesn't count. But just about everything else counts. If it's honoring God, if it's cultivating human society, if it's seeking the wellness of creation and people, or creating, uh, 
goods and services, for the well-being of human life. This is a participation in the work of God. Whatever it might be. And all of our work should be seen as this participation in God's work. Now, the issue is, like Saul, we actually don't live this out very well. So, since World War II, um, we started doing this thing where we, we uh, find our identities in our vocations, in our professions. So everyone started doing this specialization thing where you would get experts in particular fields, right? So you go into this field, you study and study and study, and narrows and narrows and narrows, and then you're an expert in this field, and you've got this expert over here, and everyone's experts. And we kind of put the experts up on the pedestals. And the issue with that, what happens is you start having a hierarchy of vocations. You have jobs up here that we say are good jobs, and then we have jobs down here that we say are jobs that aren't going anywhere. We have a word for this, right? What are they? Dead-end jobs, because you're not going anywhere. And we treat people in the dead-end jobs as though they're kind of not really good. We treat people as better experts and put them on a pedestal to give them really something, right? We do this especially in the church. So we put the pastor and the missionary up here and say, wow, they can really serve God because they're really doing church work. Oh, man, I wish, I wish I could do that. Well, if I can't do that, maybe I can be a, a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher. It's pretty good. Uh, but maybe I'm not smart enough for that. Uh, I'll, go, I'll go into the trades. I'll go into business or something. Um, and we do this hierarchy thing. Oh, maybe I'm working at McDonald's. It's, you know, whatever. Um, we, we talk about a hierarchy of vocations. The problem is, folks, none of this is actually written in the Christian theology of work. None of it. None of it. No hierarchy of vocation. When we contribute, I'm saying again, all work, all good, people honoring work, is participation in the work of God. Full stop. And if we say, well, how? Again, if you are contributing to the flourishing of society, the flourishing of human persons, to the well-being of creation, and you are creating products and services that are seeking the peace and the health and the life of people, you are contributing to the work that God is doing in the world. Full set. He loves your work, and he loves you doing work. Now, of course, every workplace is broken, not perfect, really difficult, and we'll get there. But the work itself is good. And I think, actually, at the end of it all, when you get to the end of Revelation, um, the people of God actually have work to keep doing in the new heavens and the new earth, which is the healing of the nations. God actually still wants you to co-participate with him in the world. Isn't that interesting? Work doesn't go anywhere. Uh, but it gets healed and redeemed. This is Saul's issue, right? So he, he, he separates work and worship. He, he starts shepherding the people without first looking at the great shepherd that he's going to follow. This is the issue. So then we find ourselves here at David's first job interview, his first teamwork. Interesting, it's not ruling, he's not sort of sub-governor, it's not academia, uh, it's the arts. This is his teamwork, is to go into the arts. And again, so obviously it's participation in God's work. And your work, folks, is a participation in God's work too. It can be. can be seen when you have the opportunity, like David, to bring order to chaos, or to bring harmony and meaning to brokenness, to participate in God's work. When you have, in your work, the opportunity to restore dignity and wholeness to people, you're participating in God's work. When you have, in your work, the opportunity to deliver people from injustice or from victimization, you're participating in God's work. Whenever you, in your work, can cultivate or contribute to the life and the hope of peaceful living in society as flourishing humans through goods and services, whatever that might be, you are participating in God's work. This is what he does. This is good. 
And so we're called David to bring God's life and his love to bear on the brokenness of the world. Right? The work itself is actually already holy. Now, you, obviously, if there's room to maybe do the Bible study or do the prayer time during work, great, that's wonderful. But it's, God's already there for the work, actually. It's already his. You see how that works? It's already a participation in what he's doing. And that, that's for everyone. So, you know, like from the person that plowed, plowed the driveway so that you can go get groceries, to the person begging the groceries, well, that all contributes to life and peaceful living, doesn't it? Without that, it's hard to go. From the school teacher to the child care worker, to people in, uh, in the food or agricultural industries, to the people in the trades or in forestry, or the people in public office or administration or business or finance, uh, to those that are caring for people, the medical workers and the social workers and the mental health workers, right? And you, on and on and on and on. You've got the church folk who are called to point people back to God. You've got the pastors and the priests and whatever. All of us, no matter who you are, is called to participate in the work of God in his world. And we do that by bringing, like David, the order and the peace and the life of God to bear on the corners of sin and darkness and brokenness that we need help. That's our calling, folks. So we're invited into it. It's a gift. We're invited into this. So the question for us, folks, about, of course, it's difficult. It's so hard to see this sometimes when our our workplaces are obviously touched by sin, just like any area of life. So it's, sometimes it's incredibly difficult to do. But the question for us is, will we see our work and our worship, our Monday to Friday, like your work life and your Christian life, as deeply integrated? These are one of the same things for me. I'm called to bring God to bear in my workplace, or wherever you set your hand to each day. Maybe that's at home. Maybe that's caring for someone else. I don't know. We're called to participate with God in bringing his order and his goodness and his life to bear on places that need it, in, in whatever that might look like. So I wonder for us folks, can we learn to see, as best as we can, learn to see our work as not sort of the separate drudgery from my life in God or my ministry, but to see our work as, as whatever it might be, as the avenue and the arena by which God wants to work his holiness in. Whatever that might be. Whatever that might be. Here, David, he goes to work. He's a, he's a shepherd boy. He gets his first job in the big city as a maker, as a maker, like said. And his first work as king, this very good king work, is to bring life and healing to a broken boss, all people. It's certainly not a perfect job. In fact, this job, the boss is eventually going to try and kill him. This is not, you know, you talk about your bad workplace. Right? Some of you feel you're in a workplace that's slowly eventually going to kill you. Or you work alongside people that just treat you off. Right? No workplace is perfect. They're all, all broken and fallen, but, but the workplace itself has also been touched by the redemption and the grace of God, just like every other area of life. And so we're called to uh, bring the presence and the life of Jesus into, into our workplaces because we need it. Workplaces need it. So David's heart play is participation in his, in his God work. It's a proving ground for David, personally. Before he can learn to lead as a king, he has to learn to serve as a king. In fact, I, I would say his, his work playing part is as important and as much preparation as his learning to lead armies for the of law. 
because his, his ability with music, in this case, brings healing and order to Saul's deeply tormented mind. Right? And this, again, is our God anointed work to bring the light and the healing and the grace of God to bear uh, in the places of darkness, in our own places. Perhaps your work itself already does that, brings light and healing uh, to a place that's already, already deeply lifted. And that's the invitation for us, folks, that uh, in your workplace, or whether that's in the marketplace, or at home, or in school, maybe you're a student right now, um, or you're retired, whatever that might be, to say, Lord, like David, help me to bring your life and your goodness and your truth and your grace into this area of work, whatever it might be. Because you've called me in this work to actually participate with you in the goodness and the flourishing of creation. What I love about this, as, as I wrap this up, is that David's heart still really shines here. Like, he doesn't let the anointing go to his head right now. In fact, it's something like 15 years before he actually is going to sit on the throne. Uh, so he's, he's just waiting. Again, going back to the, the things I was first saying about God directing himself. Um, David's getting a sense for what he's going to do, but it's all preparation for it. And maybe some of you are in places of life where God's actually preparing you for something else. You might not even know what it is yet. Uh, but God's creating, uh, cultivating, sharpening your character in your workplace, whatever that means. Um, before David could kind of minister wholesale, largely, to a nation, he has to learn to minister God's grace uh, to a broken person that doesn't even want God's grace. Okay? How many of us uh, have bosses that are just dead? Right? We just can't trust people. They just wouldn't listen to us. Uh, and yet, here's David calls calls to minister to a boss who loves him uh, at this moment. He's going to kill him later. Try to anyway. And yet, David has to respect this person and, and minister in God's grace. Fascinating, difficult. It's our lives too, isn't it? And so, we do we see even in all of its difficulty. By God's Spirit, the opportunity to bring the light and joy of Jesus Christ into our workplace, perhaps even to someone that doesn't even want to hear it. That's what's happening. Do we, as leaders and supervisors and administrators, see our work as a shepherding and a caring for people? Pray that you can. Pray that you can. I pray that those of you who are under uh, others, um, and it's difficult, I pray that you can see that the work itself as good. I hope. I hope it's better. Um, but also that. That God is using you in that place, whatever that might be, to bring his life and his goodness and his order to bear with sin and darkness and death. I pray you can. And I pray for those of you that are really faced difficult work decisions or work environments, that by the grace of God and by the strength and life of our Lord, you can see it as the opportunity to minister God's grace to his That's my prayer. I pray, I pray that we can begin to try to that. Um, we wouldn't divorce our work and our worship, but we'd see it together as, as a place to serve and to live and to grow. Um, because just like David's called by God and anointed by him, filled with the Spirit, so are you. Called and filled, anointed by the Spirit. And I was thinking about a way to kind of um, finish this as an active response. I think what I want to do is commission you into your workplaces. And uh, I want I want you to to kind of go with 
the sense that God is with you in your work, calling you in your work, that it's good. And actually what I'd like to do is I've got a stack of cards here, and I've got a few pens. And I'd like you to come up and take a card, and take a pen, and I've got tacks, and I've got tape. What I want you to do is come up and write at the top your work, whatever that might be. Maybe it's Walmart. Maybe it's, maybe it's childcare. Maybe it's I'm a student right now. Whatever it might be. Write your work at the top, and then underneath I want you to write what is one area of your work that you feel especially you need to give over to God. So maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's a decision you need to make. Maybe it's a relationship with a coworker. Don't need to put a name, but you can just say, uh, don't put your name either, but just say, hey, my work is in this field, or it's at the hospital, whatever it might be. And then just say, uh, here's the area I need to give to God. Maybe it's my attitude. Maybe it's just difficult with my boss. Whatever it might be. Uh, or to say, I just, maybe, maybe you're uh, contemplating retirement. Right? That's something you can give to God. Maybe you're a student and you're looking, oh, where's God leading me to? Does that make sense? So let's stand up. I'm going to invite you to come forward and get a card. And then once you've, once you've gotten it and write, write your, your work in an area, I want you to come and we're going to tape it or, or tack it to the cross. We're going to pray over it, all right? So come on up. Get yourself a card. And fill it out. There's a few pens up here. And as best as we can. Let this be a, an act of prayer as you think about what you need to give to God in your workplace. Awesome. Now we stand up and we're going to pray. And uh, I'll send you, send you on your way. We've got all kinds of stuff up here. All kinds of areas of things. And the people in between work as well, looking for work. Uh, so all these areas to give to Let's, uh, we're going to pray, okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, uh, Lord, that you are a worker and you love work. Uh, you call us to work, Lord. Uh, yet for some of us, this is uh, the greatest area of, of difficulty and weakness and, and even sinfulness in our own lives, Lord, the place of temptation in our lives. Uh, to overwork, uh, to uh, not work, <laughs> and to avoid it. But Lord, we thank you that even in work, you call us to participate with what you're doing. And I pray that like David, whatever our workplace, Lord, whatever needs are represented here, uh, and all the areas of, of life and work that are represented here, and those that weren't able to put something out, but Lord, in all of these areas, and all these questions, and all of these difficulties, Jesus, we pray that you would bring your life, uh, and your peace, that you bring answers, Lord, that you would lead and direct, just like you, you led David to this place of work, that, as, he, as he relied on your Holy Spirit. So Lord, we say today, we rely on our spirit to guide us in our workplaces, whatever that might be. Lord, we pray that you would move, that you would give us a, a fresh attitude as we head to work, even tomorrow, for many of us. Lord, for those who are between work and looking for work, Lord, we pray you provide for us. Lord, for those of us that uh, our work's especially difficult, or we have difficult uh, bosses or difficult co-workers, Lord, we pray for your grace and your wisdom and your, 
uh, your peace, Lord, to minister to them well. And in all these things, Lord, we pray that you would teach us how to bring your order and your truth and your goodness to bear on the brokenness and sinfulness of our world. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So children of God, loved by our Lord Jesus Christ, may you head to work tomorrow, or whenever you do, alive with the life and light of God, and willing to meet him in the good work that he's called you to. In his name, amen. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.